happy holidays and Merry Christmas, everybody. The holiday edition of TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. We're all in the festive mood here at the station. I'm Andy McNamara. You can follow the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can get us on iHeartRadio, the TSN 1050.ca show page. And we always tweet out the link uh, on Twitter from at TSN Analytics as well. Great show for you today. We're going to chat right off the bat with Scott Wheeler, who covers the Maple Leafs, the Marlies, and NHL draft prospects for The Athletic. Then, Gus Katsaros, McKean's hockey analyst. After that, Sean Tierney from Hockey Graphs and The Athletic. And we wrap it up with some fantasy hockey tips from NHL.com's James Harding. But in the leadoff spot this week, it's Scott Wheeler. Scott, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing well, and you you are all over the place. I love it. Everything Maple Leafs and draft prospects. So let's begin with a, something you tweeted out earlier from at Scott Wheeler about Austin Matthews points and goal projections. Why do you think those numbers are so impressive for Matthews? Well, we're certainly dealing with a small sample size this year, but I think when you look back even before last season, you're now looking at a two-and-a-half-year sample size almost where – he's been one of the best even strength scorers in the league. And I think this year what has happened is he started to score on the power play. I believe he had seven goals on 14 shots. So he's shooting 50% on the power play, which I'm sure will take a little bit of a dip here at some point. But um, once that sort of top power play unit got started clicking and he got moved from the second unit where he was last year with Nylander to the top unit, once they lost guys like JVR and Bozak, everything just kind of fell into place for him and, his even strength scoring has stayed where it is, but his power play scoring has taken a little bit of a jump here. So that has kind of thrust him into the conversation as someone who may be able to challenge for 100 points at some point in his career. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen this year, given the fact that he missed a couple months. But uh, it's certainly within the ballpark. I think it's there's probably five or six guys in the league that I would say that could challenge could for 100 points in a season, and I think he's certainly showing that he can be one of those guys. Nice to see Austin Matthews back and rolling after that shoulder injury earlier. But now one of Mike Babcock's favorites, Zach Hyman. He'll be sidelined for at least three weeks with an ankle injury. He's on pace to have career highs and goals at seven goals, eight assists so far this season in 32 games. Uh, How big of a concern is this for the Maple Leafs to be without Zach Hyman for nearly a month? I don't think it's a major concern. I think they've shown this season that they can live without stars. And I think that certainly means that they can live without Hyman for a little bit. Uh, it'll have to mean that a player like Connor Brown or Patrick Marlowe or one of their wingers will have to step up. They're kind of thinner on Hyman's left side than they are on Marner and Nylander's right side, naturally. So uh, someone's going to have to step up, but I think they'll be fine. I think you can slide just about anyone onto those sort of right-wing center pairings that they have on their first three lines, and they'll be successful. So it probably means that a kid like Trevor Moore, who's played quite well with the Marlies, is finally going to get his, his chance with the Leafs and play in a few games and uh, it certainly means that Frederick Gauthier is probably going to get back into the lineup on a more regular basis than he has in the last couple of weeks and uh, those guys aren't really going to push the needle in any real way but the Leafs have enough star power between their centers and their right wings and those top three units and the emergence of um, Kasperi Kapanen has certainly helped out in in that regard as well so everything's going to be fine they're going to keep winning games Uh, I think as long as they get mediocre goaltending they're going to be one of the better teams in the league come the end of the season here in conversation with scott wheeler covers the maple leafs the marlies nhl draft prospects for the athletic 
And let's get to some of those prospects because you tweeted out some players that have not really impressed you so far when it comes to tuning up for the World Juniors Hockey Championships. We've had some of the pre-match uh, exhibition games and all that. A couple of those, Alexis Lafreniere and Joseph Veleno were, were two of those players. Why were you not impressed with them in particular? Yeah, it's not necessarily that I haven't been impressed with them. I think it was more relative to my expectations for them coming into these pre-tournament games and, of course, the games that they played against the U Sports All-Stars as well. So right. we've had four or five games now to get a gauge of where these kids are at heading into the tournament, and it is very much a tournament that relies on luck and players being extremely hot, and the guys who don't get hot in the pre-tournament tend not to be hot um, during the this sort of group play and into the medal round, if you will. So um, Lafreniere is a kid who I expected to be extremely dynamic. He's obviously extremely young. He's the youngest player on the team, one of the youngest players in the tournament. Um, But he's also going to be a first overall pick, and I think he's just as talented as uh, Cody Glass, per se, who's going to be a real real star for them. So it's kind of been the first and the third lines that have really clicked, and the second line with Lafreniere, and then the fourth line with Joe Bolino, who's another player who I'm really high on and felt like the Detroit Red Wings got a real steal in last year's draft at 30th overall. Those are two kids who I expected to have big impacts on this team, and they've been good, but they haven't been great. So I, I think Lafreniere will still have his moments. He's going to score some goals. He's going to create a couple of plays with his playmaking ability off the wing, and he'll be all right. He's also been asked to switch wings from the left wing to the right wing, and that's been a little bit of an adjustment for him. So I think once he gets settled, he'll have a big impact and score a big goal or two, and those two guys in particular will be just fine. And Scott, I think that's a something that, that fans overlook at times when it comes to the World Juniors, where you're getting guys who are used to being the man and stars mm-hmm. on their particular teams being asked to do different things, just like you said, switching wings or maybe playing down a little bit, where they have to adjust on the fly with players they quite often haven't, haven't played with before. So that's got to be something you keep in mind when you, I guess, uh, evaluate how good a player does at a tournament with them outside their comfort zone. Oh, absolutely. And this Canada team in particular has eight natural centers for four spots. So guys are going to have to switch Bellino. I mean, I talked about Lafreniere there, but Bellino's another kid. He's a natural center. He's been asked to play the wing on the fourth line. And he's a kid who was granted exceptional status and has kind of been a first or second line player his entire QMJHL career, certainly a first line player for the last year and a half. And now he's going to be playing in a fourth line role and playing on the penalty kill and he may not be on the top power play unit, and you certainly have to take in all of that context when you look back at what is a very small sample size by the end of the tournament. It'll probably only end up being five or six games for these kids, and um, it's hard to get a true gauge on where they're at and and where they are in the lineup, and you just have to be cognizant of, of where they're playing and how things might be different for them and how many minutes they might be getting. and All of those things add up to production in the end, so... Uh, a kid like Valino, who's playing on the fourth line, certainly has to have different expectations than someone like Cody Glass, who's centering the top unit. And, Scott, overall, we're looking at the tournament. You know, it's coming up real soon, Boxing Day and all that. Who do you think is the biggest threat to win the World Juniors this year? Give me a couple of your favorites. It's interesting because Canada isn't isn't the World Junior sort of dominant presence that it was a decade ago. So, uh, they're certainly, I still believe, the odds-on favorite this year. I, I have them winning the gold medal if I had to pick someone, but there's always four or five teams nowadays. I think the Russians, to be quite honest, have kind of fallen into that fifth spot, and then you've got four teams at the top between Finland, Sweden, USA, and Canada that can all sort of make a run at it. Um, I'm a little bit lower on Sweden this year than I have been in previous years. They have an excellent decor, but their forwards leave a lot. I mean, they've, they've got Isaac Lund- Lundestrom back from 
the FHL, and, and that should help and give them a little bit of a boost. But outside of him and, and Lucas Elvins, who I really like, uh, the Golden Knights prospect, they don't have a, a ton up front. So uh, if I had to pick a team to finish fourth and finish just outside of sort of medal contention, it would probably be Sweden. And then that leaves USA, Canada, and Finland. Uh, I really like this Finnish group. They have some younger players. They're a little bit of a younger team than most teams, but between Alexi Hepaniemi and Rasmus Kupari and Christian Veselina, they have a lot of firepower up front, and I think they could go all the way this year. And then the Americans are the same, the same boat between the Hughes brothers and several other sort of high-end prospects that they have. So I really think it's going to come down to Finland, the United States, and Canada this year. Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much for taking the time, breaking down the World Juniors and the Maple Leafs for us. Uh, happy holidays. Yeah, you too, man. There he goes, Scott Wheeler. Covers everything, Toronto hockey, Leafs, Marlies, as well as NHL draft prospects for The Athletic. After the break, we'll head to McKean's Hockey Analyst, a regular here on TSN Hockey Analytics. It's Gus Katsaros. That is next on the show. You're listening on TSN 1050. Looking to chow down during the big game? Well, Domino's has you covered. Feed that hunger with a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. But Domino's is more than just pizza. Add on side dishes like delicious pasta and boneless chicken. For dessert, you need to try the marbled cookie brownie. Whether you're watching sports with friends, need a fresh, quick meal for the family, or just because, make it a Domino's night. Order now at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Welcome back, everybody. Rolling along here on TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. Get the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. And we are delivered by Domino's. Check out, if you haven't tried it, the Piece of the Pie Rewards Program. This is all you do. You go to dominoes.ca. On the right side, it'll say sign up. It's free for the Piece of the Pie Rewards. Then for every online order that is $10 or more for anything, you get 10 points. At 60 points, you get a free pizza. How about that? What else do you want, people, huh? Piece of the pie reward points. Order anything. Check out all the great deals at dominoes.ca. That is dominoes.ca. Still to come in the show, Sean Tierney of Hockey Graphs and The Athletic, as well as Fantasy Hockey Ticks. Tips from NHL.com's James Harding. But let's go now to Gus Katsaros, McKean's Hockey Analyst. He joins us on the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line. Gus, how are you, buddy? Merry Christmas. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on, and... Best of, uh, best of season greetings to you too. Yes, absolutely. Well, listen, we're we're a couple days away, or I guess tomorrow after tomorrow, uh, nearing that NHL holiday break. So let's take a big picture look at the Maple Leafs here. And when you look from the start of the year to this break, which Maple Leaf has impressed you the most this season? Well, I mean, there's lots that you can actually pick from, but I'm going to go with a little bit of an obscure choice. Oh. First and foremost, I think Travis Dermott has been uh, by far um, the most breakthrough of Leafs. I mean, the the, the way that he's approached um, his responsibilities this year, and I think that he's made a leap to becoming a full-time NHLer and a really being an impact player and, and will lessen um, the void should Jake Gardner leave. However, I feel that Par Lindholm is probably that one guy that uh, doesn't get a lot of fanfare here, but you could see how the coaching staff kind of injects him into certain parts of the game. They'll move him up and down the roster and kind of fill spots um, intermittently. Uh, so he may not necessarily get the fanfare, may not necessarily get a lot of attention, um, but the way that the Leafs have been able to utilize him in a special teams role and, in fact, on uh, at 5-on-5, five five, maybe Parlin Lindholm is one of those players that we should be paying a little bit more mm. attention to. 
Now, one of the players who had obviously so much attention heading into the year, the contract holdout, when will he play, will he knee lander, then he signs. Now he's playing, but not well since he's returned. Leaf fans are concerned, Gus. What do you think the timeline is, or are you seeing signs that he is going to get back to the player that he was? Because I think we can look at this in a couple of ways. He's got fresh legs coming down into the second part of the season, which is important, but it's going to take him some time to get back into the groove. And some guys, Gus, with a long layoff, never do because he didn't have a training camp. Are you concerned with William Nylander? So I I think that there might actually be some genuine concern there, at least just for the short term. To me, I'm thinking more of a long-term perspective here. He has the rest of the season, and under the assumption that he's under contract with the Leafs, which is exactly what we're, we're, we're basing this on, um, he has the second half of the season to make sure that he's ready for the playoffs. Uh, as far as the Leafs are concerned, they're rolling on all on all fours. They're, uh, they're steamrolling some, some players. There are some rough edges that they, as an organization, have to figure out. But for Nylander, I think that the, the fact that we expect him to be uh, productive right off the bat without, as you said, without a training camp, without a run-up to, to getting into game shape, I just give him the, the amount of time that it takes for him to get into the game shape. And we'll leave that to coaching staff to determine. Um, as far as I'm concerned, as long as he's ready to grow by the playoffs and the Leafs are still rolling and they're not in a detrimental position because of Nylander's play, I really am I'm less concerned about the fact that he's not producing. Um, playing well and producing are two different things. He's contributing but not going in. There are, there are bounces that go your way. There are things that are repeatable, and the repeatable items are the things that he's doing well. Getting into position, trying to get shots, being part of the play, being systematically in position and ready um, to transition. So I'm not too concerned over the long term. Um, the short term is just going to be a bit of a rocky bump. And I think that this is one of those moments where fans really just start to panic. And I really think that they might just take it down a few levels and just let the game play out as it does. Yeah, I think the next kind of checkpoint is probably like the all-star break, right? If he's not showing signs and still very inconsistent, then is when you really got to start getting concerned, I would think, right? Oh, oh absolutely. I, there are definite timelines, and that's not... You know, I, I'm making this very broad, but oh, sure, sure. Um, but at the same time, these are things that the coaching staff has to determine too. It's not all just Nylander. They may, perhaps they're not putting him in positions to 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 become the best player that he can be. I mean, right now they're using him on a line with Kadri, and uh, I actually think that's a good slot. I also, I also thought that he would slot in perfectly right next to Matthews, uh, and things would just kind of click the way, and it hasn't, and that's all fine and good. But you could put him down in a lower roster spot and take advantage of lesser competition, increase that confidence level a little bit. So there are things that the coaching staff can help to get Nylander rolling by that all-star game. In conversation with Gus Katsaros, McKean's hockey analyst on Twitter, at Cats Hockey, Cats with a K. Okay, Gus, Thursday night, Leafs power play, got rolling after you did a rough dry spell, went three for three, just blasted the Florida Panthers, making it look easy. But when we look overall at the Leafs team, this Leafs team, when it comes to an extended playoff run, does that power play specifically really need to be to be clicking? And the easy answer, of course, for every team is, yeah, you want your power play going. But for this Leafs team, how they're built, does that power play need to be jacked up a little bit? Um, I don't think so. I think that they have enough weapons on each of the units to be able to capitalize. And, you know, if... If the Leafs are getting power play chances, I think that's an element or at least a sign that they're actually playing well at even strength. I mean, you generate power plays by um, forcing your opponent to take penalties. So I think that that's the positive that we can take out of that. The fact that you can put on 
a unit like Marners, Matthews, Tavares, and and Riley at the point, and and pretty much anybody down by the net front, um, or even at the bumper. It, it's just a, a a bonus. I mean, uh, try defending against that unit consistently over a seven game series, and and they're bound to find weaknesses and and. And they just have so many other weapons that if the first line doesn't get you, at least the second power play unit would would um, would be able to provide some damage as well. So I don't really think that it needs to be jacked up. I think that the Leafs just need to make sure that they're playing well enough to generate enough power play chances to give the percentages the ability to work themselves into the power play. Generally, you're looking at about a 20-25% efficiency. You need to get enough power play minutes in order to get up to that efficiency. Gotcha. And Gus, with, again, the holiday break coming up, it gives us a time to to breathe for a moment and talk about the trade deadline. Never too early to start talking trade deadline because if the Maple Leafs are really serious about starting that push and they're, let's say, come trade deadline time, they're in that two spot in the Atlantic still, where do you think the Leafs need most to go? Because obviously defense was the start of the year, but now in recent weeks, toughness and some grit up front has also been an issue. Where do you think they need to go most? Um, I'm going to, I'd like to actually address the toughness question on another episode because I okay. think that that could be a very extensive <laughs> segment right off of that. All right. Well, we'll, um, we'll make a note. Arad, make a note. Got it. <laughs> um, but defensively, I think that everybody's expecting them to make some kind of an upgrade on the blue line. To me, I think that if they could, it, it's too much of an overhaul, I think, for what they, um, um, people expect from Toronto. Um, in order to be better defensively. To me, as long as that forward unit and the defensive unit are in sync, um, they're okay on the blue line. Yeah, you can add a veteran. Yeah, you can add a better player. But only if that better player brings something that the current players don't necessarily have. And the Leafs do have some players in the wings that could fill in in the depth, like Justin Hall. And and we see Martin Marincin kind of being in and out with uh, Igor Ozyganov. I don't think that the Leafs need another top four defenseman. It would be a nice to have if they're able to bring it in on a cheap cheap, affordable contracts in a very short term. If that's not available, I'm okay if they don't make any upgrades on the blue line. But they do need to bring in some kind of depth insurance because the playoffs are a grind. Injuries happen just in case you need an extra body somewhere. Yeah, depth, I'm totally with you there. All right, Gus, well, that'll do it for this week. Thank you very much, as always. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you, your family, and all of your listeners. Thanks, brother. There he goes. Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey, one of their great analysts on Twitter, at Cats Hockey. We'll step aside. And joining me after the break on the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line will be Sean Tierney from Hockey Graphs and The Athletic. Lots more hockey talk coming up here on TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050. Here on TSN Hockey Analytics Christmas Holiday Edition on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. You can follow me on Twitter at AndyMC81. The show at TSN Analytics. And of course, if you miss any of the program, want to go back to listen, whatever, never miss an episode, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can get us iHeartRadio, the TSN 1050.ca show page, etc., etc. And we'll tweet out all the links as well. Hell, you know what? Let's get right to it. We don't we don't have time to waste here on TSN Hockey Analytics. It's Sean Tierney from The Athletic and from Hockey Graphs. 
And Sean Tierney does join me now on the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line. And folks, make sure you go get yourself a large four-topping pizza for just twelve ninety-nine. How about those side dishes? Pasta, boneless chicken, the cheesy bread for dessert, marbled cookie brownie, lava cakes. Check it all out. Delivery and carryout specials. Domino's.ca. That's Domino's.ca. Sean, how's it going, buddy? Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too, Andy. I'm doing well. Excellent. So we look at this getting into the christmas break right we've had we've had a a bit of time through this season to get used to things and we're past that beginning point where you can kind of say okay people are shaking rust off whatever so in your opinion as of right now heading into the end of the year who's been the most impressive player for you that's a good question i think maybe if i'm going with the most impressive someone close to home for listeners is uh, austin matthews has mm-hmm. been basically as good as anyone could hope for this season. He's been scoring almost a goal per game, and the underlying stats for him basically check out. He's one of those guys whose uh, expected goals is always going to be lower than his actual goals. I think he's at uh, about nine goals for uh, individual expected, and he's at 19 goals. So, you know, he's, he's scoring well more than we expect, but he's got one of those elite releases where you maybe think, along the lines of an Ovechkin or a Patrick Lane, where this is something that he can continue. So, you know, the Leafs have been up and down in terms of their underlying stats this year, but basically Matthews has been basically uh, as fans would have hoped. I think John Tavares in Toronto has been the same thing. He's one of the league leaders in generating expected goals, and he's delivering on those so far too. And for a big off-season signing with a lot of money invested and all the drama around getting him into town, He's really delivered the way that the Leafs were hoping, and they've got that deep offense. And, you know, if they turn things around with their underlying stats, if Anderson stays hot, the Leafs look like they're going to be a legit contender in the East again, and that's because, you know, Matthews and Tavares have been basically as good as anyone could have hoped going into the year. Well, let's stick with that Atlantic division in the East. And you tweeted about Carey Price and said that, quote, most of his situational work this season has been negative. Now we know how passionate and angry Habs fans can get shot. So we're going to give you a, a chance to defend yourself here about Carey Price and Montreal really sitting in that, that middle to bottom part of the Atlantic right now. It's been a really strange season. Carey Price was on top of the world, you know, a, yeah. a year or two ago. And I think most people would have said maybe this is the sort of preeminent goal in the NHL. And so far this season with that brand new long-term contract sort of settling into place, hasn't been any good. So, you know, he's led up 80 goals so far this year, and that's on about 70 expected goals that he's faced. He's given up about 10 more goals than we would expect based on the workload that he's faced. And, you know, as a rate, that's not good. And Montreal, it's really interesting thing for them in the Atlantic. Their shot rates have been really good. Their expected goal rate for has been strong, and their rate against has been really strong too. Kind of a traditional Claude Julien styled team where, you know, they really drive play. They can't in return, but Price has been kind of that one glaring weak spot for them as a team, which is a really strange sentence to put together. Yeah. Um, he's been up and down, and there's been points in the season, sort of five-game stretches here or there, even one recently where he's looked better, and he's kind of come above average. Now, he's got a long way to go to get himself back to being a sort of positive contributor on the season. He's got that elite pedigree, and so maybe we'll see it, but yeah, he's been a real letdown so far, and I think if you're a Habs fan, you're looking at this contract thinking, if he's capable of going south 
for this amount of time this early into the deal. Wow. This could be a long deal as he goes into his uh, you know into his thirties. Yeah, no kidding. That's a that's a great point. But it's not all negative, right, for Montreal. And in in fairness, you did go the other way on Twitter as well about the Habs, and you talked about Brendan Gallagher's great season and how he does most of his damage in a certain area. So why is he having a great year? Gallagher is one of those fantastic players where, you know, everybody likes him and he's a fan favorite, but then the stats are really there underneath what he's doing too. So he's got 15 goals on the year, and that's supported by almost 15 expected goals. He's a 14 and the third sort of going on right now. So, you know, all the work that he's done, all the great work he's doing scoring goals on offense, it's all supported by the underlying numbers. He's doing that by getting in tight for his chances. So, he shoots a little closer than league average. That's about 28 feet out for a forward. He shoots from maybe 27. So, you know, just a little bit closer than average. But if you look at his shots map, that's something I tweeted out the other day. All of his damage is coming in right in front of the net, right in front of the crease in those dirty areas. And that's how you get those high expected goal rates. And, you know, he's so far converted on those. I think the most interesting and maybe most exciting thing, if you're a Habs fan or a Habs watcher, is that his rolling rate of expected goals, so the number he's generating per game, is trending way up into the elite sort of stratosphere right now. He's on an upward trend. So, you know, a good season supported by the numbers underlying it, and he's trending up at the right time too. So, you know, I'm looking for big things from Gallagher on his way to a a 30-goal, maybe even more season this year. In conversation with Sean Tierney, and he mentioned Twitter. You can follow him on Twitter, a must-follow, at Charting Hockey. He does great work with Hockey Graphs, The Athletic Toronto, and The Athletic Chicago. So he's all over the place. Sean, Dave Haxtall got fired, as we know, by the Philadelphia Flyers earlier in the week. Everyone praised the move, or most analysts did anyway. But you tweeted that the Flyers under Haxtell were actually a good five-on-five team. Can you explain why they were good at even strength? And do you think the firing was warranted at this time? The Haxel fire is going to be one of those really interesting things that we look back on when we get into the off season. I didn't see it in the numbers going into the firing, and I know that the calls for his head were really sort of, they reached that fever pitch, and it became kind of inevitable. Philadelphia got off to a really slow start, and into maybe the last week of October, they were a bad, bad, bad team. So their expected goal differential was as bad as Anaheim, as bad as Ottawa, some of the worst teams that we've seen going this year. They were there. By the time they got into November, late October, they really hit their stride and they became an above average team generating, uh, you know, much more expected goals than they were giving up going the other way. For a long stretch, they've been second or third best in their division. So, uh, you know, nothing there to really sort of sneeze at. They're doing a good job of generating quality chances for. They don't give up a ton going back the other way. They hit a little bit of a trough right around the time that Haxtell was fired, and maybe that's what wound up leading to sort of the, the last straw for him. But since his firing, they bounced right back up. They're in that same category as the Boston, Carolina, San Jose, even Montreal. All these teams, that they're sort of doing the same expected goals differential rate. They're really, really strong. So what is it that sinks them? The same thing that's been sinking them, you know, since time immemorial, since Textall was there yeah. uh, himself. Yeah. They are getting submarine by their five-on-five goaltending again. And so until they solve that situation, we're not going to see any improvement, I don't think, in the results. They need stable goaltending. But the underlying work from their forwards and defense looks okay so far. Isn't it weird, Sean, that some teams and like across sports, 
Just some teams seem to be associated with something, either defense or or the, the Flyers never have good goaltending. It's not always true, but there just seems like certain teams are associated with either a certain type of play or lacking or being good at it. It's, it's, it's weird for the Flyers. You're absolutely right. That uh, that reminded me, going all the way back to Hexall, it's, it's been a while. No kidding. And maybe they'll find the solution, and they've just called up Carter Hart, kind of throwing him right into the fire in the midst of a kind of crazy season. Maybe Carter Hart's the solution. I, I mean, they had Steve Mason, and they even yeah. had Bobrovsky. If you go you know, back a few years, guys who look like if they had hung on a little longer, maybe they were the right guy. Maybe Carter Hart's the guy. I think it's a big uh, task to put on the shoulders of a young goalie, but you know, we'll see how they go. Sean, a tweet that really fascinated me this week was your breakdowns, looking at which teams were lucky or unlucky dull or fun and the one that caught my eye was the the maple leafs that were in the lucky zone and you give us an explanation of, of why the leafs have been lucky so i've been warning about this on twitter whenever i tweet out the pdo graphs that they have an elevated shooting percentage and an elevated save percentage both of those marks are above average and so the temptation from a distance is to look at these numbers and say well toronto's a great team so they're going to have these above average numbers but what we know looking back over time since, you know, about 2007 when we had some advanced stats revolution and, and some of these ideas have been out there, we expect both these numbers to regress both for the lease back down to averages and for teams that are really struggling like Florida or Vegas or Carolina. You expect over the season for teams to move towards those average marks of about 8.5% shooting and about 91.5 save percentage. Right now the lease are shooting over 10% and they're getting – plus 93% save percentage at even strength. The shooting percentage, that's just not something that teams tend to keep up in that 10.5-10 range. There's been a couple of teams in the past 10 years, Washington Capitals were one that were able to keep it elevated near that level. But realistically, over the course of a season, when you have a whole roster shooting percentage, the Leafs are going to come back down into that 9, maybe close to 10 range. When you take 1% off, that's you know a goal every 100 shots, and that adds up over yeah. the course of a few games. The save percentage, I mean, Frederick Anderson's been playing out of his mind. He's way up at the top of the goal saved above average list. Only Gibson, maybe Halak, maybe uh, Dave Riddich have been as good as him this season. He's been excellent. I expect him to be excellent, and I still expect the save percentage to come back down as we go forward, especially under the workload that the Leafs allow. So, yeah, the Leafs are a, a good team but they're not as good as they've seemed. Uh, and some of these numbers are going to come down as the season goes on. The Leafs are still going to be good when we deflate these numbers a little bit, but they just won't stay up at that level, not for a full season. Last one for you. Out of that, that group, did any team's PDO catch your eye or, or surprise you? I think one that maybe catches the eye and one that I got a little bit of uh, pushback from Caps fans is Washington. And so Washington is this really interesting team. They're shooting almost 11.5% at even strength which is just wild. That's you know well above the average of just above 8.5%. Um, the argument out there is that the Capitals are this team with elite shooting that we should expect they'll beat the average year in and year out. And they have beaten the average for quite a number of years now. So you know the debate is out. Are the Capitals an elite shooting team that we should expect to have an elevated shooting percentage over a season? For me, I think the safer bet is to expect them to definitely come down from the plus 11%. They won't stay there. Maybe they stay a bit above average, but the safe bet is to say this is a team that can't shoot you know, 3% better for an entire season, even if you're bringing out Ovechkin as one of the greatest shooters you know, sort of of all time. 
for the Capitals, that's led to them being about 10% above their expected goals for percentage this season. And again, that's another number they're not going to maintain. So I think for me, the Capitals are that team I'm looking at right now as a real outlier in luck. I expect the results to come back into line, and that'll mean some more losses for them going forward. All right, buddy. Great stuff. Have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, same to you, Andy. Thanks for having me on. There he goes, Sean Tierney from The Athletic, from Hockey Graphs. Always does great work. And, folks, you got to follow him on Twitter. Those charts are cool, and they break it down in simple terms to understand why it's relevant to the games you are watching. All right, we will step aside, come back to wrap up the show with some NHL fantasy talk, fantasy hockey conversation with NHL.com's James Harding. That is next on TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050. Looking to chow down during the big game? Well, Domino's has you covered. Feed that hunger with a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. But Domino's is more than just pizza. Add on side dishes like delicious pasta and boneless chicken. For dessert, you need to try the marbled cookie brownie. Whether you're watching sports with friends, need a fresh, quick meal for the family, or just because, make it a Domino's night. Order now at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. to wrap up the holiday Christmas edition of TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and on the iHeartRadio app, the TSN 1050.ca show page. And of course, we'll tweet out the links on Twitter at AndyMC81 and at TSN Analytics. We are delivered by Domino's here on the show, of course. And hey, get yourself the piece of the pie rewards program. Get in on it. Free sign up. Just go to dominos.ca. You'll see it in the top right corner. Sign up. What happens is every time you order anything $10 or more, you get 10 points. At 60 points, you get free pizza. It's perfect food for the holidays, for any time really, for the big game, whatever. Check out all the great deals. Carry out and delivery at dominos.ca. That is dominos.ca. Let's bring in my next guest. He is the fantasy man from NHL.com. It is James Harding. James, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays, my friend. How are you? Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you, too. Andy, I'm doing well, buddy. I'm doing well. Just, uh, you know, it's such a busy time of the year right now. You kind of just, like, are trying to survive and go forward, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, It's crazy. But you know what? If anybody is looking for a last-minute great Christmas gift, how about getting yourself Three Brewers Micro Brewery Restaurant gift card? It's perfect. they got great beer, great food, great times. And what you can do is they have locations all across the GTA, so it's wide open. Get a gift card. You can go for the game. You can dress up a little bit. You can go in your jersey, whatever. Very cool spots. Three Brewers Micro Brewery Restaurants. A perfect last-minute Christmas gift. And James, I know if you were this side of the border, this would be just your place, buddy. Just your place. Uh, I, I mean, I was, I've been, you know, thinking about asking you to, to talk to those guys to see if they can send, <laughs> you know, a location down to New York for me because that place just sounds fantastic. It is. It absolutely is. And you know what? Because it's the holiday season, before we get to stock up, stock down, I want to know your fantasy hockey Grinch. Who stole joy, a thief of joy, from your fantasy hockey season to this point? Yeah, yeah. So the the one that I'm going to go with for the Grinch is Yulia Kovalchuk from the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, when you think of all the hype that he had coming back after years in the KHL, 
he was going to be playing with Andre Kokotar out, out there in Los Angeles. Uh, he had been a better than point per game player in his NHL career before he went to Russia. Uh, he still is just under a point per game, 830 points in 841 games. Um, but when you look at his production so far this season, yes, he has been on injured reserve uh, since the, uh, the end of November. But when you look at his production, only 14 points, 54 shots on goal for a guy that was being drafted inside the top 80 in fantasy leagues. Uh, so inside the, the top seven rounds in fantasy leagues and in standard league, uh, the production just isn't there. And anybody who bought high on him the way that they did, and I know people who even bought him in like the fifth or sixth round because they thought the production was going to be there, it just hasn't, and it hasn't worked out this year for Kovalchuk out in Los Angeles. So uh, I'm saying Ilya Kovalchuk. That is a perfect Grinch type of fantasy pick. I like it. Now let's get to stock up, stock down, heading into this holiday weekend. And James, we have to think about this, the, the, the human side of fantasy hockey, you know, players with families there's all the distractions and busy hey if we're busy you know they're going to be busy they make a lot more money than we do a lot more presents to buy i'm sure uh who's your stock up give me two stock up and then stock down for uh, uh for this weekend yeah my first stock up for this weekend heading to pittsburgh and it's brian rust from the penguins uh he's been thriving lately skating on the first line there with Sidney crosby and jake gensel uh he's a four game goal scoring streak that's told five goals and eight shots on goal. Uh, that has told five goals, and he has eight goals and 25 shots on goal in his past six games. Uh, so as long as he can remain in this position on the Penguins' top line with Crosby and, and Gensel with that kind of elite-level exposure, uh, he, his, his ceiling is very high. He has been in this position before, and he has produced sporadically when he's been there. He's kind of a boomer bust player, so I would jump on him right now and try and get the most out of him until before he cools down. Uh, but for right now, Brian Rust in Pittsburgh uh, with eight goals in his past six games. And then my second stock up for the weekend, Kevin Hayes from the New York Rangers. Uh, he has a five-game point scoring streak. Uh, entering Sunday, uh, Saturday night, excuse me, tonight against the Maple Leafs. Uh, he has four goals, six assists, three power play points, and 13 shots on goal in those five games. Uh, centering the second line right now, and that line is thriving with Chris Kreider and uh, Pavel Buchnevich, who is uh, really seeing a lot of usage and a lot of time and production since returning from his injury. So he has jump-started that line with Hayes and Kreider as well. Uh, and Hayes is running the point on the first power play unit there. And right now he's on pace for a career-high 67 points, which would best his prior career-high of 49 uh, by 17 points. So Kevin Hayes, uh, I'm buying high on right now. I like those. Okay, so those are the two stock up. Who are we avoiding going into the Christmas break? Yeah, going into Christmas right now, I'm avoiding Kyle Connor from the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, he's struggled lately since being moved off of the top line with Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler and onto a line with Patrick Laine and Brian Little. And you would expect that if you get put onto a line with Patrick Laine, you might have the chance to succeed. But that just hasn't happened for Connor as of late. Uh, he has zero points in his past five games and only four points, three goals and one assist in his past 12 games overall for a player that's 86% owned and was drafted very highly in fantasy leagues because of his exposure to elite players like Shifley and Wheeler and the power play uses that he saw in Winnipeg. Uh, you thought that 
there was going to be a lot more production there, especially considering the rookie season that he had last year. Um, I'm still telling you to keep him on your team. Sell him high if you have the ability to, if somebody will give you a great offer back. But right now, I would hold on to him, and I would still play him. And I, I think that he's going to turn it around, especially if he can get moved back onto that first line with Wheeler and Shifley. But for right now, I'm a little leery and more matchup dependent uh, with Kyle Connor. And then my second one is Oliver ekman Larson from the Coyotes. Uh, he did score a goal against the Canadians in their 2-1 loss on Thursday night. He has three points, uh, two goals, and one power play assist in his past eight games. Uh, but the reason I'm a little down on him, he has a very, very tough week ahead four games against uh, Colorado, San Jose, the Kings, and the Ducks. Uh, so so four very, very difficult teams, uh, very good defenses, very good goaltending, and the Coyotes have scored one goal or less in four of their past five games. So I'm not super high on Oliver ekman Larson right now. All right, those are beautiful. So two stock up, two stock downs, one you can use in league play, one you can use in daily DFS, your DraftKings lineup. Now, James, is there is there someone DFS wise, right? Because if you're you're looking for some individual games, you know, you go on DraftKings, you can get the tier matchups, the showdowns, the the the, the regular classic ones. Is there a, a particular value play you're looking at going into this weekend? Yeah, Andy, for DFS this weekend, uh, there are actually three sleepers that I like, and they're all from the New York Islanders. Uh, it's defenseman Ryan Pollock and forwards Josh Bailey and Brock Nelson. Uh, they're each producing heavily right now for the Islanders. Pollock has a three-game point streak with five assists, uh, three shots on goal, seven hits. Uh, Nelson has goals in back-to-back games and a three-game point streak with seven shots on goal. And Bailey has a four-game point streak and points in six of his past seven games. Uh, so I, I really like where that trio is right now. And they have a very, very intriguing matchup coming up this weekend against the Dallas Stars on Sunday. And when you look at the history of the last few years between the Islanders and the Stars, those games tend to be a little bit high scoring, 4-3, 6-5, games like that. So I think there's going to be a lot of offense uh, from the Islanders right there. And I like where those guys will be salaried for DFS contests. In conversation with James Harding, fantasy hockey extraordinaire analyst from NHL.com and on Twitter, of course, at jharding underscore hockey. And if you have any fantasy hockey questions, James will always be happy to help you there again at jharding underscore hockey. Now, James, let's talk some injury here. Uh, One very good player coming back in, and Patrice Bergeron this weekend. One out in Max Pacioretty placed on IR. Can you quickly take me through a couple of uh, implications? Let's start with Bergeron here. And, of course, when a player of note comes back from injury, that means the guy replacing him likely takes a step back, and it can have an effect and a snowball effect fantasy-wise. What are you expecting from the return of Bergeron himself and then how it affects the rest of the lineup? Yeah, well, when you look at what happened with Patrice Bergeron when he uh, got injured with that upper body injury, he's been out since November 16th, but through 19 games, he had 26 points and nine goals, 17 assists, and he was skating arguably on the best line in hockey with uh, Brad Marchand and David Pasternak up there in Boston. Subsequently, since the injury, the Bruins have rotated a number of centers in and out of that spot, most notably Jacob Forsbacca Carlson, and then now David Krejci. Krejci has really settled in well there. He has 11 points on a current eight-game point streak right now, uh, skating in that spot. So he's in line to take the biggest hit if the Bruins break up that line. They could bring Bergeron back a little bit slowly, get him up to speed, and start him maybe 
on a second line there, uh, and or they could break up uh, Bergeron, excuse me, Marchand and Pasternak, and maybe keep Pasternak with Krejci and Bergeron and Marchand together. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if they put Bergeron directly back there on the first line right away with Pasternak and Marchand. But over the last year and a half, that has arguably been one of the top two or three best lines in hockey. So I would assume that even if they don't right away, that line will be back together soon and Bergeron will be producing uh, at the level that he was at. So I would say that he uh, has very, very high upside with either one or both of those players. And the player that could take the most hit there is uh, David Krejci. So that's with Bergeron coming back in. What about with Max Pacioretty heading out of the lineup and again being placed on injured reserve? Yeah, yeah. They called up Brandon Peary from uh, Chicago of the AHL to fill in for his spot. And Peary obviously has been a seasoned NHL player. He has seen time in teams' top sixes before. Uh, you know, he was uh, very good when he played for the Panthers years ago. Um, he was called up leading the AHL in points with 41 points in 28 games for Chicago and actually scored a goal with five shots on goal in his first game with Vegas the other night against the Islanders. Uh, so I, I like where Peary is. He has slotted into that spot on the second line in place of Pacioretty with Paul Stastny and Alex Tuck. That's a great pairing right there. That's a good line. Um, I, I'd be very, very high on Brandon Peary right now in the short term until Pacioretty comes back because when Pacioretty comes back, he will slot back into that line uh, next to Stastny and Tuck. But I, I like Brandon Peary as a short-term streaming option uh, for fantasy lineups right now, especially as a value option in DFS. Beautiful. So there's some DraftKings help. There's some league help for you. An early Christmas fantasy hockey present from Mr. James Harding. Buddy, enjoy the holiday season. We'll talk to you next week. Have a uh, safe, healthy, happy Christmas and, and all that good stuff, my friend. You as well, my friend, and uh, thank you for granting my early Christmas wish and uh, not having all those angry Leaf fans tweeted <laughs> me last week for everything I said about Freddie Anderson. I talked to them. It's okay. I talked to them. They're, right. they're, they're cool. All right, buddy. Talk to you all soon. All right. <laughs> There he goes, and off we go as well. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. We do appreciate you so much listening. Season 5 of this show, still can't believe it, and it's all because of you, the listeners. So a heartfelt thank you. We will be back next Saturday. I'm Andy McNamara, producer Aradis Vandy. Sean Lavery will be back from Australia as well next week, we hope. And everybody, Merry Christmas. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto.